0: All right. Well, good morning. Good morning. I was trying to look back in the archives of RCC, and when is the last time we sang two hymns in a row in this church? Alex, Alex, you remember ever do? Have we ever done that? First, first time ever. Okay. So, be praying for uh, Mitch and Ashley. They've got sickness through their house again, and so. Uh, you know, I get the I get I get that great phone call. Whenever one of my staff members calls me, I'm like, I have to brace myself. Usually, I sit down, I'm like, okay, what am I doing this week? Okay, all right. Um, and so, sit down and just pray and ask. And then, a few of you had commented about last week's worship time, about some of the older songs, and and um, man, God's anointing is still in those songs. Just like they're in these new songs, I'm listening to this new song right now, and I'm not going to play it for you this morning because it's nine minutes long. Um, It's fantastic. It just talks about the, man, where am I at? And God, the chorus of that song—this is the—I'll just say it real quick. It says this: "Offend my mind, so I will know you more." Is the chorus of this song? Because the way we naturally think is not the way God thinks. And so he's asking, he's praying, God, would you come in and, like, interrupt my life? You know, stop me and so I can know you more. Stop me from going down this way so I can know you more. So some of those hymns are just such a great reminder of who our God is. He is great. And how often do we get to say thou and thee and shall and all those words? <laughs> Unless you're watching dark or something like that. Okay. Anyways. Anybody know that reference, Dark. Yeah. Okay, a few, a few of you, okay. Oh, Jody out in the hall. Jody's hiding in the hall. She even knows about Dark. okay. Anyways, I'm not endorsing that show, but I would have watched it. It's uh, interesting. Hey, we are in the midst of 21 days of fasting and prayer. We have joined Foursquare. We are a Foursquare church. If you are here and you didn't know what kind of church we are, hey, what denomination is RCC? We're a Foursquare church, so we believe in the four... Basic doctrines of the Bible: that Jesus is Savior, He's the Baptized with the Holy Spirit, He's our Healer, and He's coming back. He's the soon coming King. And so, the 21 days, they've kind of started refocusing us, like, hey, who is our God? Who is Jesus? I pulled it up on my phone this morning. We're on day um, 14 today, but I just want to remind us of the. I'm giving you all kinds of lists this morning, but here's a list. Here's 13 days, actually 14 days, it's because we're on day 14. That Jesus is God, that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is the Creator, He is our Savior. Jesus made us alive. We are forgiven in Jesus, we have unity. As his church in Jesus. Jesus is our healer. He is a miracle worker. He is a deliverer. He's the baptizer of the Holy with the Holy Spirit. We can abide in Jesus. We can just just know that we are His. That Jesus is the soon coming King. As far as I'm concerned, sooner the better. Okay? And then today's Is Jesus is our present and our future hope. And I read that this morning. I'm like, that is exactly what we're gonna be talking about this morning because today we're gonna be talking about empty hope. But when we follow Jesus, he's full of hope. He is our hope. He's our hope in the present. He was our hope yesterday. For those of us that walk with him and know him, he was our hope yesterday. But he's also our hope right now in the present, and he's going to be our hope tomorrow. And that gives us assurance to know that he is with us. And so we're just refocusing 21 days, kind of a refocusing, remembering who Jesus is. We're fasting, we're praying, we're asking God to bring breakthrough. And I don't know specifically what you're praying for, but keep praying. Keep fasting. Keep asking God. It's interesting when Jesus introduces the whole concept of prayer, and then he says, "Hey, we can be like that one who constantly knocks on the door." And it, he actually says, "It's annoying. But he says, "We can do that as His kids. We can be that." And then he will open the door and he'll answer. That's interesting to me, because I don't want to be annoying. I am annoying, but I don't want to be annoying. And so that's where we're at. The other list I want to talk about this morning a little bit is as we are going in as we're going through 1 Peter, there's almost two contrasts, first or second Peter. Second Peter chapter 1 is all these promises and reminders of who our God is and who we are in him. Then chapter 2, which we're going to be back in today, yay. It's just warnings and reminders to us what we're supposed to be looking for and who we're not supposed to follow who we're not supposed to be like. Let's focus on chapter 1 for just a moment. And I've said this the last several weeks. I don't think we can be reminded. We just need to be reminded more and more that we have, if we're followers of Jesus, we have a faith that is precious. There's nothing else like a relationship with Jesus. That grace and peace is ours in abundance. That we have been given everything that we need in this life. Everything that we need. You notice that Peter doesn't say that we have been given everything that we want in this life. No, he says we've been given everything by the grace of God. We've been given everything that we need in this life. He has called us. He has chosen us by his own glory and goodness. We have been given great and precious promises so we can be part of what God is doing in this world, in his world. And the fact that we have this precious, amazing faith, now accessorize it, is what he says. You have this amazing faith, so now to that faith, add goodness. To that faith, add faithfulness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mercy, and love. Those are the type of things that we're supposed to be doing. Those are the type of things that create hope for people around us. People should be able to look at us as believers in Christ and say, first of all, there's something different about them. Second of all is, I want what they have. I remember going to a concert years and years ago. as a group called Second Chapter of Acts was leading worship from the stage um, right before Keith Green was going to come on And they were, like, prophesying. They were, like, pointing at people in the crowd and, like, giving them words of knowledge. And I was a Southern Baptist boy. I had no idea what was going on. I was like, this isn't normal. It wasn't normal in my world. But that, I believe, is is normal in God's world. And I remember sitting there thinking, I don't really agree with this. I don't really understand what this is. But I want that. I want that. So when people look at us, they shouldn't be able to look at us with empty hope. They should be look, at, look at us like, they have hope. I want what they have. That's the reminders in First Peter. In the midst of all the stuff that we're going to talk about in Second Peter that we've already talked about, I just want to remind us that God knows how to rescue the godly. That if, as we are seeking him, as that we are pressing in to him, that God knows, even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of the hardest times, and I look around this room, and we've been through it. I'm going to throw myself in that. We have been through it. But God has been through it with us. He knows how to rescue. He knows how to walk with those who follow him. So what have we learned as we turn our, to our Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2? If you need a Bible this morning, raise your hand. Um, we have our amazing hostess back there, Annie. She's going to juggle. Oh, juggle Bibles? No, she's not. So raise your hand if you need a Bible. We're on page 1052 in the church, Black Bibles. Anybody else need one? I think we need one up here. Okay. Some of you have your Bibles on your phone. I'm not speaking against any of that. What have we learned in chapter 2 so far? So far what we've learned is that Peter has a passion for the truth and that Peter has compassion for the church. And the Holy Spirit, as he divinely leads Peter to write these words, Peter's passion for truth and his compassion for the church really comes through. Peter tells us that there will be false teachers that will infiltrate the church. And what they'll do is they'll question God's sovereignty. They'll question Jesus' life. They'll question Jesus' life on planet Earth. They'll they'll question his death, burial, and resurrection. They'll they'll try to entice us, and we're going to get into that a little bit today. They'll try to entice us to do things that are contrary to what God has called us to do as believers in Christ. They won't line up with the Word of God. The sad thing is that Peter tells us that many will follow them. Many will follow this false teaching. And then Peter promises that their destruction will be swift. And he promises that God sees what is going on and God will have the final say. And judgment is coming. He tells us how, that, how we will recognize them. So for me, this is, a, this is really key. This is really important. Because if we're being warned about false teachers then, and we're looking all around, so what are they going to look like? So these are some of the signs that Peter says, this is what you should be looking for. This is how you recognize them. They will introduce thoughts and ideas that are close to the Bible, but contrary to the Bible at the same time. That is why we really, can I express it? We really, really, really need to know our Bibles. But Pastor Kevin, I don't like to read. Well, church, I don't either I discipline myself to read. Just like I discipline myself to get up early in the morning. Just like I discipline myself to brush my teeth. Just like I discipline myself most of the time to make my bed. (laughs) So we need to know the word of God so when this stuff comes our way, we will be able to stand our ground and say, that is not correct. I love you. Let me help you walk through You're going because where you're going leads to death, it leads to destruction. So, we need to know the word of God. These false teachers, how will we recognize them? They will be bold and they'll be arrogant, they will be rebellious. And Peter says they will despise authority. Well, will they just what kind of authority? They despise God's authority, they will question God's authority. Did God really say that? Well, who else said that? The serpent serpent said that in the garden. And the Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. So they will question. They'll be just like their father. They will question the word of God. They will lie about the word of God. Their lifestyles won't match up with the word. So the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control will not be part of their lives. It'd be just the opposite. Well, who's going to follow people that are just the opposite? You'd be surprised. What is the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the flesh? Hatred. Well, I'm not going to follow people that hate people. How about indifference? Despair, anxiety, impatience. The fruit of the flesh is rude. It is evil. It is unreliable. It is abrasive. It is harsh. It is undisciplined. And Peter goes to the extreme and says, people like this, these false teachers, act in instinct like animals do, without thought. It's just natural. And when we as human beings act in the natural, in the flesh, does that lead us to life? Never has, unfortunately. It never has. Even when life was perfect here, it never led to life. We always wanted more. It was like that mirage, always trying to grab onto something that's just beyond my reach. They were distracted. So we're going to pick up in verse 14 through 18. I'm just going to say, this is tough stuff. Because some of our lives have been affected by some of this stuff. This is tough. And so I want us to pray. And I, I, can we just be open to hear from the Lord this morning as we read his word? We're going to spend a lot of time in his word this morning. Lord, I put my hands out to you this morning. Pray that we would receive, that I would receive from you today. That you would lead us in the way everlasting. Everlasting that some that are heading on the road of destruction and death would turn today and walk with you. God, this morning that forgiveness would be received, grace would be received, mercy would be received by you as we come to you with hearts that are humble and even broken. God, I thank you that your mercy right now in this place is fresh and it's new. And so as we open up your word this morning, we read it, Pray that you would speak to our hearts in Jesus name. Amen. Second Peter, chapter 2, verse 14. Remember, this is a complete thought. The whole chapter is a complete thought, and so we're just picking it up in mid-thought. That's why I try to set it up for us. And Peter goes on to describe what these false teachers are going to look like, how they will act, what they will be teaching. Verse 14, with eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water and mist driven by a storm. Blackest. Darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh. They entice people who are just escaping those who live in error. All right, deep breath. This is heavy stuff. But in the midst of the heavy, I just have to say, I'm a, I get distracted. Anybody else get distracted? You see the squirrel. Squirrel. You know, you've got a deep conversation with somebody, and there's something going on in the background. You're like, I'm really interested in that squirrel on my fence post right now. and It doesn't make any sense. So as I'm reading this, like heavy, deep stuff, Peter talks about a donkey talking. Now, I want to say, how do I do this without pointing you out? Okay, don't do it. Just don't raise your hand. But maybe some of you this morning, you showed up at church, and you had no idea, like no idea, that there's a donkey in the Bible that actually talks. I mean, like a real-life Shrek moment. Seriously. And so now every time I hear that story, some of you don't know what Shrek is. Shrek is a cartoon. It's, a, it's actually an animated movie. It's like, there's like three of them. Oh, there's four of them. And the voice of the donkey in Shrek is Eddie Murphy, which is, like, perfect. He's the perfect donkey. Um, I'm not speaking King James. I'm just, okay. He's this perfect donkey, all right? I mean, how many of us did, like, we didn't know that in the Bible. I remember I had just been saved. Um, I think I'd been saved for about two years. And I really didn't read my Bible much. I was saved when I was about 14. I read my Bible a little bit. I went to Sunday school. Then I went to church, Then I came back Sunday night for church. And then I went to Wednesday night church. So I went to church a lot, um, heard the word of God a lot, but I didn't really read it for myself a lot. And there's not very many pastors that preach out of the Old Testament in some cases, and, and pull out some of those stories. And so I remember I was at my friend Roy Stonickers, and I don't know if he's watching this morning. He's in Texas nowadays, and they had set they would sit down every every morning for family devotions. I'd never seen that before. And I'm like, okay, this is interesting because I'd spent the night. So um, just the night before, we're like hanging out in the living room. We're, we're just talking about our relationship with God. Roy and I, we're just totally on fire for Jesus. And we're like having a conversation. We're like praying together out loud with our eyes open. We're like, man, do you realize? And we, I remember having this conversation. Do you realize that God sees us right now on your living room floor? And we like, and we just started laughing, and then we, like, waved to God. We're in our sleeping bags, like, you know, like, oh, all right, you see us. You recognize us. And I remember the next day we get up, we're having breakfast, and um, Lee, Stoniker, uh Leroy's dad, um, opens up the Bible, and he reads out of numbers, and he starts reading this story about a donkey that starts talking, and I was like, my Cheerios, like, exploded in my bowl. I was like, I could not... At first, I was like, what Bible are you reading? I've never even heard of that. We're going to get to it. I just said, I was distracted by the donkey this morning. We're going to get to the whole, so why is Peter bringing in this Balaam guy into this? When he's talking about false teachers, why is Balaam there? But first of all, Peter says in verse 14, their eyes are full of adultery. Now, is Peter talking about marital adultery here? Yeah, I think he is. But I also think he's talking about spiritual adultery as well. And what does spiritual adultery look like? Well, it's like kind of like the Ten Commandments. Marital adultery, when we're talking about false teachers, we're like, well, who would teach that and who would believe that? Well, I'm going to tell you, back in the 1980s, a church in Berrien, Washington called Community Chapel The pastor went really rogue. And they started having these big things going on in their church. And then he just started kind of slowly walking away from truth. And slowly kind of going from the desires of his own heart. And this and what was being taught in that church was: you know, I know you guys are married. Like, like I'm married. I'm physically married. I have a certificate from the government that says I am married. And what he started teaching was, did you realize that you can actually be married spiritually as well to somebody else? That, to me, was like, whoa. But what happened in that church is people started to believe it. And then affairs, physical affairs started happening all over that church. All over. You're talking, that church was big. I don't remember. I, I think at least 1,000. What's that? Yeah, it was big. Thousands. It exploded because... And I knew I had some friends that went there and as soon as that truth started being taught, they were like... They confronted and they were told if you don't like it, go. And so they they left. These people are solid in the truth. They knew this false teaching wasn't right. That's the adultery that was happening there. But I think there's a spiritual adultery that God even talks about when he first was establishing a relationship with his his children, with the Israelites when they first came out of 400 years of slavery. He's establishing a relationship with them, and he gives them ground rules. He actually called it the Ten Commandments. And it was ten rules that we're supposed to follow that helped us in our relationship with him, but also helped us in our relationship with one another. If you read the Ten Commandments, it's all about relationship with God and a relationship with one another. And Jesus in the New Testament sums up the, new, the Ten Commandments. He sums them up in just two commandments. So love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then do what? Love your neighbor. So if you love your neighbor, you're not going to have adultery. You're not going to steal from them. You're not going to kill them. You're not going to want what they have. All those things. I was gonna read the Ten Commandments. When's the last time we read the Ten Commandments? Okay, let's turn there. Okay. Exodus chapter 20. You guys talk me into it. <laughs> Exodus chapter 20. <laughs> Didn't have to try too hard, did you, Tim? Exodus chapter 20, verses 1. Verse 1. Again, God establishing a relationship. With his people. And some people will look at God as like, well, God is just a God of rules. No. Just like nature has, God has set rules into nature. God has rules for us to live too. Like if I just decide, like, hey, I'm just going to step out here like this because this air will hold me up. Well, the laws of nature are going to say, no, they won't. And then you're going to have to take me to the hospital. Okay? And so God is a God of order. God is a God who loves us so much that he gives us boundaries to walk in. And so here's the boundaries. This is what God spoke to his people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And so what happens? So when we do, when we put other things in front of Jesus, what do we do? We are putting them, we're elevating those things as God and putting him down. And what does God say? No, nothing should be above me. Nothing should be above me. If you're in a married relationship, your relationship with Jesus is the most important thing. I'm just going to say that again. In your marriage relationship, your relationship with Jesus is the most important thing. Well, I thought I'm supposed to love my wife is what The word says, yes, I am. I'm supposed to love my wife like Jesus loved his church. And how did Jesus love his church? He died for his church. But what am I supposed to do first? I am supposed to love God first. Because if everything else, if everything else around us shakes and falls off, it's just going to be you and Jesus. Trust me, I've been there. When everything is taken away from you, it's just you and Jesus. And if you are not tight with Him and strong with Him, then you will be shaken and you will fall. And so God is saying, Don't put anything else above me. Because I want you to be strong. I want you to know who I am. That I am the God who has you. I am the God who has rescued you. I am the God who saw you for all those years. And when your hearts were ready and you cried out to me, I listened. And I brought a deliverer to you. Have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Man, we might read that and say, God, why is it the kids' fault? and sometimes these are hard passages to read but i wanted to look at verse 6 yeah there might be there might be some residual from our if i make these bad decisions in my life and i'm walk i'm walking away from jesus will my children suffer for that yes they will it wasn't their fault that they suffer from but they will suffer because of the decisions that i made and what happens is i lay that foundation for them and then when they grow up they continue to make those bad decisions and even worse and so that keeps trickling down onto our children but verse 6 what is what is the promise here but god says i show love to a thousand generations from 3 to 4 generations for those of us that walk with him i show love to a thousand generations for those who love me and keep my commandments. If we've decided to walk down there, is can I turn around? If I've already started going this bad direction, can I turn around? Absolutely. That invitation to walk with God is open anytime. Anytime we can come back to Him. We can raise a hallelujah anytime, no matter what we're going through. Forgiveness and grace is always ours, and mercy is always ours. For those who follow him, and I'm just going to say also for those who don't follow him, maybe you've never decided to follow Jesus before, but now you say, I, I need him now. Then grace and forgiveness and mercy is yours in him, and he will forgive you of walking down that path to a thousand generations. Now you're a chain breaker. Now you don't have to, now you're children, because now you're making decisions To follow Jesus now, that will trickle down onto your children. They will see it. They will want it. Maybe not right away, especially from about 11 to about 18. They'll see it, though. (laughs) 30. Lord, help us. 30. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless for misusing his name. Talk about Poldark here just for a second. I'm just going to go off here for a second. Why is it when we hit our, hit our thumb, see it? Yeah. That we want to curse God, not me. Just to make the record clear. Um, and so the thing about Poldark, what I loved about that show, is when they would get frustrated, or they didn't just yell out the name Jesus. What name did they yell out? They named out the name Judas. When they got frustrated or angry at something, or or be astonished by something, they would just say, Judas. Well, that makes sense, because Judas was not a good guy. Jesus isn't amazing. Anyways, six days you shall labor and do all all your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath. Man, we could just keep reading all these. These are relationship guidelines that God has given us. Read them this week, would you? They used to be posted in our classrooms. Um, They're not anymore. But read him this week. So Peter is talking to us. Let's jump back to Peter. And he's telling us what we're supposed to be looking for in these, in these false teachers. And he says they never stop sinning. They, they seduce the unstable. That's what the NIV says. I'm, just just inter- I'm always interested. what is Because the original New Testament isn't, wasn't created, wasn't written in English. Okay? To the astonishment of most Americans, <laughs> believe it or not, okay? There are other languages in the world. And it was written in Greek. And so, in Greek, it's a hard language to translate into English because they're so, it's such a colorful language. So what are some of the other translations? What, what do they say? NIV says they seduce the unstable. They, New Living Translation, they lure unstable people to sin, English Standard Version says they entice unsteady souls, and the Message Bible says, seducing every vulnerable soul they come upon. These are wicked people. And what does the Bible say? I like good movies. I like, and here's a good movie for me. Um, starts off happy. There's usually a bad guy, never a bad girl. You notice that? It's always a bad guy. Anyways. Um, but then the bad guy gets his, whatever that might be. And then the good, and then it ends happy. That's my favorite type of movie. I guess I'm Hallmark, but I guess it's kind of like I don't even think Hallmark even has bad people in it, anyways. Um, but I watch I watch stuff like this happen. Like, God, when are you gonna do something? But this is what the Bible says. When Jesus was talking to his disciples and he was talking about his very own, the precious, the vulnerable. He was actually talking about kids. And he invited the kids, let the children come to me, which was, rabbis did not do that. Okay, I just want you to know, that was super unique about Jesus. Um, Kids were a bother to rabbis. But Jesus said, come, let the kids. And then he looks at them, they're all like surrounding him. And if you're like a kid, I know when I'm around my grandkids, they just, like, like, lean up against me. i mean like, hey, come over here. Instead of, like, just stand by me, they'll just stand, like, and just, like, be touching me. The other day, I was sitting there, and um, one of my grandsons, he was, he just sat next to me, and he just, like, leaned against me. And he was just sitting there, just leaning against me. His name is Liam. He was just leaning against me. And Jesus said, that's the way I want you to be. He, didn't, he said, you need to be like kids. And what he means by that is you need to have faith like them. You need to be vulnerable like them. And Jesus in Matthew chapter or Mark chapter 7 says actually it's actually it is Matthew Matthew 18. I'm skipping all around here church. Matthew 18 says if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, right? those who believe in me, if they cause them to stumble, it would be better. So what's going to happen if we um, cause God's children to stumble? Remember, he's talking about like false teachers here. It would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. This is Jesus talking, the loving Jesus talking That for the false teachers that lead his children astray, it would be better off that they be tied up and drowned because what is waiting for them is even worse. In fact, Peter says, blackest of night is reserved for them. How do we recognize these leaders? They are greedy. Peter calls this group of people an accursed brood. I don't even use the word brood in my vocabulary. So I don't even really know. It's just a group, right? But the Message Bible describes this group of people who lead God's people astray as dead souls. That makes sense to me. There's no life in them. Jesus comes to give us life, but they have no life. And so it's really important for us as the church to discern and to observe what God is doing and who we listen to and who we put in front of us. Verse 15, back in Second Peter, they have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam. Okay, let's talk about Balaam. This is a bizarre story to me, and I read it multiple times this week, and every time I read it, it's like, wow, it's just hard to get my head around what's going on. So here's, it's, it's in Numbers chapter Twenty-two. I'm not going to read it this morning. If you want a fun read, read it this week and find out what's going on. Balaam is not. You would think, okay, Balaam is a prophet of God, but did you realize that Balaam is not Jewish? He's not a Jewish man. He is a man that lived out uh, in the cities, and but yet he had a relationship with God. So that was super interesting to me. So. But his relationship with God was unique because God would speak to him, but he didn't always do what God told him to do. Not a great prophet. And so the children of Israel have just escaped, released from, not escaped, were delivered from 400 years of slavery. They are out in the desert now. They are camping. And the estimate is there was about almost like a million. A million people. Imagine host in this room, doing coffee and cookies for a million, okay? And the king, Balak, in the area was like, I'm kind of afraid of these people. God had put this, like, fear. God had gone ahead of them, and people were afraid of the Israelites, like they were going to do something to them. This is a group of slaves. They didn't know how to fight, but God went ahead of them. And so Balak is afraid. So Balak wants to hire Balaam, because he knows that he has a relationship with God. Balaam, would you come? I'm going to give you tons of money. Would you come and would you speak curses upon this group of people out here? And Balaam was like, I'll take your money. But let me first go to God and let me find out what he has to say. So Balaam goes and prays and God says, do not curse those people. Those are my people. You will bless them. So Balaam comes back and says, I can't do it. Balak sends another entourage of people with more money, more ro- just more gifts, and then Balaam finally says, okay, I'll go, I'll go and I'll check this out. He goes, they sacrifice on this one mountain, he goes to, to bring a curse, according to Balak, and what does he do? He blesses Israel out in the desert. The king Balak, who wants to pour out of this money, is he happy? No, he's not happy. He goes, well, let's try this other mountain. They go out onto another mountain another day. Same thing happens, blessing. Next day, they go out on another ma- mountain. Same thing happens, blessing. Finally, to the point where Balak says, I'm not giving you any money. You're out. And it just says, and they went home. So why, when we read in this passage, this story, is Peter saying that these false teachers are like Balaam. They have wicked hearts. Well, because Balaam wasn't doing what God was wanting him to do. In fact, when we get into the whole donkey conversation, some of you are reading it right now, which is totally fine. Balaam is so caught up in his greed. And what's going on here? Balaam is on his donkey riding to where he's supposed to curse God's people. And God puts an angel In the pathway with a flaming sword, like swooping it around, like you're not getting through here. Balaam is so blind in his greed, Balaam doesn't even see it. But guess who sees it? The donkey sees it. And so the donkey, like, starts bucking around a little bit. If you've ever been on a bucking horse, it's not comfortable. Okay? And Balaam starts getting mad, and Balaam hits the donkey. And he starts talking to this donkey, and then the donkey continues. He's try, trying to kick, spur the donkey to go forward. The donkey's not moving. The donkey goes to and, and it kind of rubs up against this area, this post or whatever, and Balaam's ankle gets kind of twisted. Now he's really mad. So now he's really hitting on this donkey. And so finally, the donkey just turns and says, why are you hitting me? <laughs> Read it. And Balaam's, Balaam is so caught up in his own greed, and he just sees the dollar signs, he has a full-blown conversation with this donkey. Well, I don't want you. You know, and they just have this conversation. And then, then it says the Lord opens Balaam's eyes, and he sees, and then he repents. And again, I read in, in Peter here. And so why is Peter? Because if you read the story of Balaam, it seems like he did the right thing. Yeah, he shouldn't have gone. It says that the Lord was angry with him. But it says he did repent after the angel thing. And so why is he called wicked, because, remember, we look at the full Bible, not just parts of the Bible, because when Jesus appears to John in Revelation, and he's talking to the seven churches, remember, Jesus gives a message to the seven stars, the seven light posts, the seven churches in that area. He's talking about Pergamum, and I'm just going to read it to you, if I can find it in my notes this is Jesus talking to the church, to one of the churches. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Ah, so Balaam shows up again. So he's in Numbers, he's in Peter, he's actually out also in Jude, and now he's in Revelation. Who taught Balak, the king, to entice the Israelites to sin. Okay, so remember, he couldn't curse. Remember, God told him, you cannot curse these. So then how did Balaam collect his money? So this is what Balaam did. He told and taught Balak, the king, how to entice the Israelites to sin so they would eat food sacrificed to idols and, and to commit sexual immorality. So what Balaam did was, okay, I can't curse these guys, but I still want your money. And so let me just tell you, the way you're going to get to God's people is you're going to, get them, you're going to introduce idolatry to them. Introduce them to your gods, the things that bring you fulfillment that they've never seen. Remember, they've been in slavery for 400 years. They're about as vulnerable as they come. Introduce them, and then also then introduce them through that into immorality. That's how you're going to get to God's people. That's why Balaam is condemned here with the false teachers they're going to introduce you to ideas and things that are contrary to the word of god it's going to sound close and somehow people are going to follow them because they're going to somehow again maintain some type of spiritual spirituality and people are going to follow but if we really discern and look at people's lives that are doing that you're going to look and see like their lives do not line up with the word of god i cannot follow somebody like that i can't even listen to what's coming out of their mouths because it will lead me to a life of death and destruction Peter says that there are springs without water what a great description especially when you think of the children of Israel who are in the desert who are thirsty and you come to a place expecting to be refreshed and to be restored and there's nothing there call that a mirage you ever drive on a Street, hot street, and you look way ahead, been on a road trip, and it looks like there's water on the road. Anybody? Raise your hand, yeah? And you're like, well, I want to get that to water anytime. And then it just never, it's never there. It's always just out past again, past your reach. Completely opposite of who Jesus is. Jesus is our oasis in the desert. That place of peace, that place of rest, that place where we will. Be able to find fresh water. And what did Jesus say about himself? I'm living water. And what did Jesus offer us? His peace. And here's the amazing thing about Jesus: peace that he offers us. It's a peace knowing that our Father in heaven already knows what we're going through now and what we'll go through tomorrow. And he says, even in the midst of that, you can have peace. Peter says that their words are going to be empty words that they entice people to sin, even though they are vulnerable because of what they've gone through. Now, this is heavy stuff, I understand. But these are warning signs for us as, as the church. As we're listening, as we're, as we're, I'll just say, as we are in the end times, we need to be listening. We need to be paying attention. We need to have the gifts of the Spirit to know what God has for us next. You know, as I read 2 Peter, it almost sometimes feels a little harsh and hopeless, because what if, what, if, what if I've done some of the things that Peter is, like, barking against here? Well, again, in Christ, there's no condemnation. In Christ, there's forgiveness. In Christ, there's grace. His mercy is new for me right now in this moment, but what is my responsibility that is all offered out there for me. What is my responsibility? I need to turn from my stuff and turn from the way I'm going, and I need to turn back to him. That's the only way we can receive that. And what we call that in the church, is called, we call it repentance. Repentance is a gift from God. The fact that he would even open our eyes, just like he did with Balaam, like, hey, there's an angel there that's going to destroy you if you keep going. So maybe God is opening our eyes this morning, like, hey, there's things ahead of you if you continue on this path that will destroy you if you keep going this direction. So you need to turn around and you need to follow Jesus again. Jesus talking to the church of Ephesus in in Revelation chapter two. He tells them, you know, you're doing some pretty amazing things, some good things actually. But I have one thing against you. You have lost your first love. And Jesus is saying, you've you started doing these things for me, and then they became the things that you went to. They, almost, they have become idols. God, I'm doing ministry here. And sometimes our ministry becomes our idol because it's, it, we have that ministry define us. We have what we do define us. And that was never meant to be. God is our definer. And the encouragement to us was this. You need to stop focusing so much. He didn't say stop doing those good things. But he said, don't make those things your focus. I'm still your focus. Remember, walk with me. Up here. What is that? One, two, three, eyes on me. When you're in kids' ministry. That's what Jesus is saying here. One, two, three, eyes on me. Look at me. Yeah, I keep doing those things, but follow me because I might have you do those things, but I might have you do those things a little bit different because you're now, now you're actually following me and you're not just staying here. There's forgiveness and there's grace for those of us that know him. And for those of us that don't know him, there's still forgiveness and grace. We just have to say yes to him. And then we have to follow him. That's the key. Not just say yes, but we need to follow him. So I encourage you to do that. Can you stand with me this morning? God, this morning I pray that we would follow you. That we would turn from the mirages of the desert, the things that we have been walking after, reaching for, thirsting for, and then even when we find them, they leave us wanting more, and we are more empty than we were before, more thirsty than we ever were before. God, that we would turn to you, and it would be like an oasis in the desert. It'd be living water. It'd be like your conversation with the woman at the well, and and when you told her that, man, if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again no matter what you've done in the past you will never thirst again you'll never be wanting again because now you have me church we have him we have been given everything that we need so let's walk with him let's talk with him Let him tell us that we belong to him. Remind us that we belong to him. Let's experience that joy with him. Let's hang out with him and stay in those places. Help us to walk with you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you this morning that even in the midst of the difficult and the hard and the heavy, Lord, your word still speaks in amazing ways. And I I pray that we would experience your grace this morning. Thank you that you open eyes of the blind. And not just physically, but spiritually. Lord, I pray that you've done that this morning. That you've opened our eyes to see. Help us to be discerning, Lord, as we move into these end times. To discern what you are doing to follow you and not follow the ways of the world, to follow this false teaching and all this stuff that is coming our way. But God, your voice should be the loudest one that we hear. And we lift you up in praise this morning, Lord. We're thankful for your presence in our lives. Thank you for that you change us. You're changing us in the beauty and the presence of your majesty. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday.